experienced him as a God who makes a way where there doesn't seem to be any way for something to happen, for us to be changed, for someone to be, uh, find him. We've experienced some miracles. Maybe you're like me, you pray for a lot of miracles and probably 90% of them don't seem like miracles until you realize that we live in a world filled with miracles. The fact that you are breathing right now, your heart is pumping, may seem very natural to you, but I think it's a miracle. The closer I get to the season where people's hearts stop suddenly, the more I realize it's a miracle. It's a miracle. In the Westminster Catechism, there is a, a question that is asked of children, and the question is this, what is the chief end of man? And the answer that we train children to give is, a man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I want to focus on the enjoying of God forever as we look at the scriptures in Habakkuk. I'm still not seeing the screen, so um, don't know what's going on. Can you flip the... Do I, um, Chris, do I just uh, do what I do here? Oop, that's back. We're looking at Habakkuk's second complaint. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God and my Holy One? We shall not die. Some versions say, are you going to kill us? Are you going to make our end? Because God had said in response to um, Habakkuk's first complaint, I am raising up a people, and they are basically going to smack you around. That's, that's the George translation. And he's going, are you, gonna, are you not everlasting? Are you not going to, uh, we're not going to die, are we? Or making a statement by faith, we are not going to die. You have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up a man more righteous than he? There's two implications here, that someone has made a judgment that they are more righteous than someone else. And, wow. If you could see what I'm seeing, it would be fun to see. Uh, it would, it's like, wow. <laughs> Why do you idly look on while well, the screens are not working for the pastor up front? Why do you idly look at traitors, remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? There's the implication, I'm more righteous and you're using someone less righteous to do that. The, question, the statement is also filled with an, a belief that says God is so pure, he cannot look at evil. He cannot perceive it or look on it intentionally. You've made mankind. <laughs> I just want to point out, this is not old man struggling with technology. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Allow me to pull this up on my cell phone. <laughs> yeah, someone else read it for me. Do you know where we are? In Habakkuk chapter 1, and we were somewhere around... Go ahead, someone read it for me. 
We're going all the way to Let me read from the Living Translation, which is something I've been using devotionally. I'm going to read these portions. Thank you so much for reading that. That was outstanding. Thank you. I wanted to point out something, and, and I was debating whether to do it because we use a certain, we like to use a certain version here, but this one has some spins to it that I thought were interesting. It says in verse 16, then they will worship their nets and burn incense in front of them. These nets are the gods who have made us rich they will claim. Habakkuk was looking at this, this portion of this way that this nation lives, and he was beginning to um, stress, question, ask very important things about why would you use this nation? And so one of the things that I wanted to go back and just look at are a few of the things that Habakkuk had already learned based on his experience uh, to his first, exp um, the first complaint. God had led Habakkuk in his life, and Habakkuk had come to a place where he could converse with God. Which screen is being shown now? The one on the right? Okay. Um, he would converse with God with raw honesty, and God would respond with an answer. He believed that. That is something that Greg was encouraging us to do uh, in his first message uh, with uh, us about Habakkuk, that we would have a raw honesty with God and we would have the expectation that God would answer. God had replied to his previous complaint. God had, has pure eyes and he could not look on evil. These are things that Habakkuk had already learned or knew. God said that the full scope of what he was doing was outside of Habakkuk's ability to understand and imagine. Do you think that's true of your life? Whatever God is doing in his history and in the universe and in the world and in your city and in my location and in my life, really, can we really understand it all? Probably not. Actually not. Habakkuk realized that God was going to use a cruel and violent people, people who were bent on violence, who loved violence, and who worshiped their own strength. God was going to use them to correct his people. When God responds to his first complaint, Habakkuk is filled with fear, and he had a question. And the question is, can a holy God use evil and those who give themselves to be evil to accomplish his purpose. Can God do that? As a result of eating in the forbidden tree in the garden, we as people rush to judge what is good and evil on our own. And we do it without seeking God's perspective. So I'm posing a question to you. Do you have enough wisdom and insight, can you see behind the scenes far enough that you can decide whether something's good or evil at a fixed point in time 
without getting God's perspective. Can you really do that? But because of our experience in the garden, this experience, when God took us and put us in the garden, he said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, most of the time as a Christian, I have been told that this is about obedience. But it's more than about obedience. It's more than just about us being obedient to stay away from eating a certain thing. Don't eat that. I think I want to. God knows and never intended people to carry the burden of the knowledge of good and evil. We were never intended to be the sole arbitrators of what is good and is evil. We do it all the time. We do it as believers. We even say things to try to encourage each other as if we know what God's doing in a person's life. We see a person in the struggle, and we don't want to be them to be in the struggle, so we'll tell them all the ways they're not supposed to be in the struggle or that God's going to deliver them from the struggle, and then we see that person struggle, 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 and they are thinking that God is letting them down because someone arbitrated what was good and evil. I'm going to try. <laughs> You see, we were never intended to have to bear that weight. It is not, I am not saying that everything goes and everything is wonderful and we're supposed to be, you know, like uh, some kind of a princessy world where everything is just wonderful. No, we call things as they are, but we realize that the way we call them may not be what God's doing. And so we wait and we seek and we do what Habakkuk did, rather than trying to do it on our own. We were meant in the garden to walk with God in an open relationship in the cool of the evening. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? But what happened after the tree of knowledge of good and evil had been partaken of by Adam and Eve? They couldn't do it. They hid. You see, because they had already decided what was good and evil. And so I wanted to be able to give the backdrop to this so that we could see that it was only after eating from that tree that the joy-filled relationship with God became a struggle of fear and mistrust. Habakkuk struggled to understand and our struggle starts with the fall from faith in a good God and the inability to communicate with him in a way that calms our soul like a walk in the cool of the evening. Hebrews 11.6 says this, and without faith, it's impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God. I'm assuming that most of us in this room fit that description. We want to draw near to God. We must first believe, however, that he exists and he, that he rewards those who seek him. That when I seek him, he rewards that. And what we've learned so far in the book of Habakkuk is that 
We have uh, such an awesome God that we can come to him with our complaints, and we can even complain about his answer to the complaint. (laughs) What do you mean you're going to use these wicked people that are are more wicked than we to correct us? Could you see how that even fits our political system right now? We love to call everybody else evil, but we don't realize that God is doing something in our country. We don't know what the heck it is. Am I allowed to say heck in here? Yeah. Okay. We don't know what it is. But we try to make a decision about it, and we try to get into the group think about it, and we realize that the best place for us to go is on our knees before our Heavenly Father and say, we don't know what you're doing but you are a good God, and you do what is right. And, and I want, I'm going to wait for you to reveal to me not only about my country, but I'm going to wait for you to reveal to me about what's happening in my home and in my job and in my city. I want to hear you, God. I want to see you. I want to I learn what you're saying. Augustine had a very interesting viewpoint on what evil was. In his confession, the seventh book, he says that evil, where he defines evil as a perversion of the will turned aside from God. I want to submit to you that maybe Augustine was right when he said evil is not a thing. It's measured by how far it turns away from God. And if we are being the arbitrators of what is good and just and holy and right, without a conversation with God, we run the risk of becoming evil in that capacity. I have heard believers who will sit in worship and say the most wonderful things about God, and then you talk to them in the lobby and they say the most evil things about God, as if he is somehow some kind of a a changeling that you just never can afford. Uh, trust. I have done the same. I have a friend. I thought about showing you her picture, and I decided against it. She was, she's, was a triplet. The other two triplets, absolutely perfect in body. The umbilical cord wrapped around her and stunted the growth of her legs. She is beautiful in countenance, in attitude, in heart. But from the time she was little, she wears braces on her legs, and she wears them openly. Uh, she, she is, uh, she's not ashamed of how God made her. But I can only imagine the pain that a beautiful young girl goes through growing up in our culture when your legs are not quite developed and you wear braces, ugly braces, your whole life. But I just talked with her a couple of weeks ago. You know what she said? I am now working with the Wounded Warrior Project. And when I walk into a hospital, people know that I get it. This has been good. You see, we would read it all evil. But God was doing good. There's a family in Cherry Hill I just spoke to this week. They have a, special, a boy with special needs. 
They've been fighting in the, in the court system to get what the state has already decided should be given as a provision, but they're fighting with the school district. And in the process, they moved to another side of the school district, and because God told them to do it, they lost money in the deal and everything else, and in the middle of all of this struggle that went on for a year, all they could feel, all they could think is, we must have made a mistake. We must have missed God somewhere. We must have done something wrong. Well, just this week, they found out that he's going to be transferred to a school that he can walk to. And the needs that he wasn't getting met in the other place can be met there. And so the mom said, how silly we were to constantly try to judge the right and wrong while we were in the middle of it because we, didn't, we had to get all the way to the end to see how God was working on our behalf. I don't know if you know the name Nate Saint. Nate Saint was a famous missionary who was killed by um, natives in the country of Ecuador. And if you had seen the movie, The End of the Spear, there's a scene where a little boy is watching his dad's plane take off. He will never see his dad again. I heard that little boy talk. He said this. And by the way, in, in testing an airplane, an um, experimental airplane, he became a quadriplegic. God miraculously touched him, and he got the use of his legs back. He said this. He said, what I've learned is that we want to write our own story, and we want God to edit the bad parts. But it's our whole story that has to be given to God. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, because what? I have overcome. But we want to make that now instead of then. Seven times in the book of Revelation, God says, to him that overcomes, I will grant, or I will do this. And then it's also the same thing with the Waymaker song. How are you going to be an overcomer unless you have something to overcome? You see, unless we engage Jesus Christ at a way, in a way that allows him to take us through circumstances that we would rather not have to deal with and to see his lordship in them, even if we are those who die by faith, the chapter of, uh, 11th chapter of Hebrews says, not having seen the promise. Even if that is our story, we turn our face to our God and we, we allow him to restore us back to what was lost in the garden. Because we get past being the arbitrators of the knowledge of the tree of good and, e of good and evil, and we get back to the place where we say, let's take a walk. Let's talk this over. Let me hear what you have to say. So what do we do when God's dealings just don't seem to add up or seem fair? I love that word. I don't think there is such a word that's more disturbing to people of faith than fair. When I think of fair, I don't know why some of you are struggling with things in your life that would just absolutely destroy others but you're in there in faith. 
and you're fighting the fight, and you're getting up every morning, and you're overcoming your, your battle with your body, or your battle with your family, or your battle with your finances, or your battle with sin, or whatever it is you would be overcoming. And others seem like they just coast. I don't know how that is. I don't know what God does. I don't know why he says, Jacob, I loved and Esau, I hated. I don't know. But I do know that he allows me to come with my complaint and lay it before him and listen. And when he gives his answer, if I don't like his answer, I can talk to him about that. Until I come to the place where I'm going, it is well with my soul. We like to write our own story. Flick, 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 flick. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> we like to write our own story for our lives, don't we? We conclude things about ourselves and others before we even get God's perspective. And because of that, we attempt to walk with God while hiding from him. In one of the churches that I pastored, we had a lady, every week she came up and wanted to have pray for her husband to be saved. And as a young pastor, well, what do you do? That's a great prayer request, right? Well, one time she's making her way to the front, and God said, tell her you're not allowed to pray for her. And I'm going, must be Satan talking to me right now. And I said, well, why? And he said, Ask her if she's forgiven her husband. Well, if you ever want to hear profanity in church, tell a woman that wants you to pray for her husband but doesn't want to deal with her sin, or a man, it doesn't matter, don't get hung up on that. Tell them what they don't want to hear because they know the religious system. But I can tell you this lady is a saint. She was so mad... She used words that I'm not sure Jesus blushed over, but she went home and she took her complaint to God. And God showed her that she needed to ask her husband's forgiveness because she walked in unforgiveness because he had cheated on her with her best friend. And with tears, she, she asked her husband, will you forgive me? I have been wrong." because I would not give you the forgiveness that has been given to me. Now, I know there's a lot of different stories and a lot of different angles. Please don't get lost. But, but hear this. Within two weeks, he had given his heart to Jesus Christ. And then he had a heart attack and died. Now, I'm not saying that everything that God does is weird and strange, but I'm telling you, we have a God that does a lot of weird and strange things. And we have got to draw close to him, just like Habakkuk did when he said, how can you do that, God? How can you look on evil? How can you use evil to accomplish good? Well, I can tell you in retrospect, I know a story. And this is my last For today, hopefully. <laughs> Not for all the rest of my life. <laughs> there was a day when an innocent man was condemned to death. 
the evil of all humanity, the most evil things that humans would ever do to other humans were planned for him. They were carried out upon him. Not only was he treated that way, in a way that our Constitution doesn't even allow people to be treated, <laughs> he was mocked. He was spit upon. It is the most evil expression of evil trying to extinguish good. Does that sound like a bad Friday? Why do we call it Good Friday? You see, when we become those who judge the story because of the knowledge of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we label it prematurely because we don't know what God's doing. And so when we ask the question, can, how can a God who is holy use those things that are evil to accomplish good, we have only to look at the cross. And it is the most mitigated evil that accomplished the greatest good in all of history. If we can meet Jesus there, the cross becomes our garden where we talk with our God about all the things that trouble and plague us. And we gain his perspective. We gain strength. The good news is not always feeling good until the story finally gets told. There's a verse in Romans that says that he would be just, be proven to be just and the justifier of those who come to him. Why is God allowing evil? Why do we have these struggles? Because we need to do what Habakkuk did. We take our stand at our watch post. We station ourselves on the tower. And we look out to see what he will say. And what I will answer concerning my complaint. If you'd like to read another story that goes along this way, we encourage, I encourage you to look at the book of Job when God shows up and says, who is this that darkens counsel? And he begins to explain to Job the, the behind-the-scenes workings. What I'd like to do right now simply is to give us some time to just interact with God. It's no mystery. We've all had these times when we, and, 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 and we have had these questions, and instead of taking our watch post, we cover it over with a band-aid scripture. Or we try to convince ourselves that, that we need to think differently. Or we try to do uh, some kind of a self-help thing. And those things are all good once, once, we hear the perspective of God. Habakkuk, God says, I'm going to send a people, and they are going to deal with the sin of, of my nation. And these are going to be evil people. They're going to do evil things. You are going to see things that are going to cause you to wail and lament. Habakkuk says to God, how can this be? 
How can you use people more evil than us to accomplish your purpose? But in that process, we can come to a different place like Habakkuk did, and we can hear what God will say when we raise that objection so that he will explain to us as much as we can understand according to what Greg, Eric was saying, and I agree with Eric, we can't understand it all. But he will give you the peace you need so that you can continue to pursue the relationship with him that brings you to the cool of the evening. I hope this makes sense. I've asked God to help me do this because I think it's so important that we learn how great and trustworthy our Father is and how we don't have to stay in this morass of trying to decide it all ourselves. We can go back to the garden with him and be restored by the second Adam to what was lost by the first. So would you stand to your feet? We're going to give you a chance to respond. And, and um, just to, if you have some issues that have been raised by this message or um, that you would like to discuss with God, we're going to do the same thing we did last week. We're just going to give you a chance to respond to God. And I agree fully with Eric that sometimes when you move your body out of your seat toward God, good things happen. So we're going to give you a chance to do that not going to be prolonged, but we just want to give you, we have a good amount of time to seek God together. So the altar is open, and then after a while, some people will come and join you and pray with you, but we want you to have a chance to talk to God about whatever complaint you have or whatever praise you have because you've seen God work in response to your complaint. Make sense? It's open.